0: All right, this morning, um, we might have folks out in our parking lot. I'm not really sure. We're still broadcasting out there. So if you're out in the parking lot, God bless you. Uh, folks online, there's been a lot that's gone on since the last time we gathered together. Um, the writer of Hebrews tells us that we need to continue to uh, gather together. I think, I'm a, I think I maybe lost a page here in my notes. I've got to check real quick. I don't have page two. I lost page two. I got page one down, and I lost, that's because I folded it up. I thought it was page one. I can't get lost in your notes. I'm going to throw them away in a few minutes anyhow. That's what happens. So again, we just want to say, uh, let's get started. Uh There's been a lot that's gone on. Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 10, starting in verse 23, let us hold, let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we possess. Hold on unswervingly to the hope that we profess. We talk about a hope, are we hanging on to that hope? For he who promised that hope is faithful. Are you hanging on to the hope that we have in Jesus Christ? And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Have you ever seen a spur that a cowboy wears? Yahoo, somebody says. Have you ever been spurred? Is spurring comfortable? Spurring is not a comfortable thing. It's not really a stick so much. Those spurs aren't sharp, but they're rounded, and they're made to rub up and, up and down on a horse's flanks and make him move. Sometimes we need to spur each other on because Trent doesn't like to get out of his chair because Zoe oh, doesn't want to go here. Chris doesn't want to do that. We need to spur each other on sometimes towards love and towards good works. Not giving up, King James says, forsake not the assembling together of yourselves as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Do we see the day of Christ approaching? Does this, does what we're going through stir anything in you that says, you know what? We might be getting closer to Jesus coming back because it stirs something in me. I got, a, I got a feeling. Forsake not the assembling together. There is a day coming, folks, when we're going to need to assemble more often. There's a day coming. This 20 for 20 is nothing. I think there's a day coming. We're going to need to assemble together just to keep caught up on what God's doing and what our needs are and where we're at. Kind of like the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, the Bible says, they met together daily. Are we meeting together daily? Do we need to meet together? Do we need to meet more often? Pastor, we don't need to have meetings just to have meetings. Nope. But we're going to need to have get-togethers more often to spur one another on, to encourage one another. So Let's catch up. Last Saturday, chaos in, in Fargo. If you'll remember that, uh, chaos going on in Fargo. They're experiencing all kinds of troubles. There was protests, people throwing rocks, there was fire, they were shooting rubber bullets, it was a disaster looking for a place to happen. And Minneapolis, St. Paul was Fargo on steroids. I understand from Lowell telling us at men's breakfast the other morning that in one street alone in Minneapolis, forty seven buildings were destroyed. Forty-seven businesses were destroyed in one little community in Minneapolis. Forty-seven because of this rioting and this chaos. And so... The, the cool part was that happened on Saturday. On Sunday morning, there, more, there were more than 1,000 people that showed up in Fargo to help clean up the mess. There were so many people down there to help clean up the mess. On a Sunday morning, they got out of bed on a Sunday morning to go clean up bricks, to go clean graffiti off a building. There were so many people that they were having to send people away. Like, you, don't, you don't need to be down here. You don't need, we, we got all the help that we need. There were so many people doing that. And if you will recall, last Sunday... I said, you know, my, my initial reaction was, call out the National Guard, just get it done with. And then as I waited on the Lord a little bit, I thought, you know, it's not the National Guard, it's the people. It's the church. It's the business owners. It's the community. We're the ones who need to stand up. And I concluded part of my service last week by saying, now that doesn't mean you all need to run to Fargo. Turns out I was right. Because Sunday afternoon, about 2 o'clock, we started getting texts, hey, there's going to be protests in town. There's going to be protests. The police are getting warnings that there's going to be protests. There are going to be groups gathering. Hey, there's a group gathering by the armory. Hey, there's a group gathering by the courthouse. All throughout last Sunday afternoon, and I kept feeling in my heart, I need to go and open up the church, I need to go and open up the church, I need to go and open up the church. And I was working up in my shop, and I kept feeling, you know, I should probably go open up the church. And I'm getting texts, and I'm sending texts out for prayer, and it's like, you know, I should go open up the church, I should go open up the church. And finally, I suppose it was about 6.30, I just went in the house and I told Annette, I'm, that's it, I'm done, I gotta go, gotta go into town. I told people Sunday morning, the church needs to be part of the answer, we need to be part of the answer, the community needs to be part of the answer, and I'm standing up here in my shop, I need to go. If you were not there, you kind of missed out. Because by the time I got there, it was hard to tell who the protesters were at some point. They were in Veterans Park, standing on one side of the street, but as I looked across the street, I was kind of on, well, I was kind of meandering all around, but I'm on the other side of the street, and there I could see, as I look across, well, there's Wendy standing over on that protest side, praying with, and there was Barry standing over there, on that protest side. And there was uh, Trudy and Lisa and Jason and Anthony. All these people were over there. They were in church on Sunday morning. And Sunday afternoon, they're over with a bunch of people who were protesting. And they're praying and they're talking and they're kneeling. And at some point, they were standing there. But guess what? They were involved. They were engaged you know what happens when the body of Christ engages in disruption? You know what happens when that happens? You imagine yourself out on the lake seeing this in a sailboat going across the lake, and there's a big head of steam, there's wind just blowing, and that sailboat just, is just cruising across the lake. And then all of a sudden, the guy who's hanging onto the sail lets go. Whew! And when he does, all the wind is gone. When the body of Christ is activated like that, I said, we don't have to run up to Fargo. I didn't know it's because Fargo was coming to DL. But the reality was, there was nothing there. The body of Christ came. There were people that were there, other people in the community. As a matter of fact, on my side of the uh, street, I was walking around. I'm talking to a guy who's like, you know what, I live three blocks away from here. I got an AR-15. I can take care of this in short order. Like, you know, an AR-15 is not going to help you take care of this. Well, if this gets out of hand, I'm going to go get my gun. I'm going to go get my gun. I'm going to go get my gun. And I'm talking this guy off a ledge. I'm not kidding, man. He's, he's willing to go. And if they, if they even cross, I'm going to do that. And I find we got done talking. I'm you know, trying to bring some rationale, some peace to this whole situation. And then when I, when I get done, I'm walking away, and he comes running after me. Hey, you know, really, it's not that big of a deal. We can go and we can, we can, we can take care of this. You see, the church has the opportunity to be dispensers of hope. We have the opportunity to be dispensers of peace. We have the opportunity to dispense God's grace in this situation. So myself and others were able to minister over there. Not just to people who were protesting, but to non-protesters. And Watching God totally diffuse the situation was amazing. Was at nine o'clock, the mayor signed an order in order to to um to to lock up the streets to say, you know, there's a curfew at nine o'clock. So a couple of things happened that were really kind of cool. Wendy at one point so we we just talked about Daniel in the lion's den, and God shuts the lion's mouth, right? So there were people over there hollering in the microphones. There were people, that, folks, it's obvious. The people that were leading the charge over there were not from DL. That was obvious. They were, they were from someplace else. And so somebody's over there barking. You know, when the Bible talks about um, the enemy goes around like a roaring lion seeking who he may, may devour, the, the picture there is actually an old lion that gets on top of some brush or some brambles, gets on top of this area, and he gets up there and he roars. And as he roars, because he's the old lion, he ain't got any teeth, but he's, he's the old lion. He's got a big voice. And as he roars, all the critters underneath scramble. And the rest of the pride jumps in and they kill those little animals. That's how that happens. So while we're over there and there's some guy out there roaring like a lion, Wendy said she felt impressed to say, Lord, just shut his mouth. Shut the mouth of the lion. And two minutes later, the guy hands off his megaphone. He's like, "I can't talk, I can't talk. What's going on?" That's God, folks. That's God. Finally, we say, "Well, what can we do? What can we do? What can we do? What can we do?" We'd we like eight minutes of silence. Okay, so everybody, eight minutes of silence. And you know what? Everybody silenced. The deal was nobody really figured out that it was it was uh, eight fifty-two about the time they asked for eight minutes of silence. So the last eight minutes of the protest, because the the city went on curfew at nine o'clock, the last eight minutes, everything was quiet. Well, it's hard to get fired back up after that. And so all the protesters I'm walking downtown, a few minutes later, all the protesters are walking away with their signs, like, yeah, see ya. Do you know why that is? It's because the body of Christ is engaged. It's because people are praying. It's because our city was down there. I believe we can make a difference in this whole thing. Do you believe we can make a difference? Okay, four of us. The Bible says the devil goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. We don't need to be devoured. After that, we had the opportunity. On Tuesday, we got the opportunity to participate in a county board meeting. I've never participated in a county board meeting. Jane invited me. As I walked in the door, Jane said, you need to sign this piece of paper. I said, all right, how come I'm signing this piece of paper? She said, it's so you can get up and speak. (laughs) I don't have anything to say you invited me here. I'm just coming. No, no, you just got to sign that. I'm like, I'm not going to sign. So, okay, I signed it. And I, you know, so then the Lowell signed. Thankfully, Lowell signed before me. And the, the county does their little their little part. And then they say, well, does anybody want to address the board? And Lowell's like, he's the first one up. He's like, I'm not going to say anything until we hear from our state representative. And I'm like, yeah, me too. And then our state representative got up and spoke, and he addressed our county board, and he said, listen, what you need to do is you need to band together with other counties in the region. You need to become a voice, and you need to open this city up, open this county up to to enterprise, to business, so that people can get out. And he said, that's not going to make any difference if you try to to protect everybody and keep everybody safe. If every business around is going to close, you're not going to have anybody to protect, nobody to keep safe. Get the county open. And so at the end, so, so then it was like he got done. Now Lowell's like, I'm ready. I'm like, so am I. So we got up and we were able to share that and encourage. One of the things I, I told our county commissioners, I said, you, 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 we think that, that this is, is kind of well, everybody's just taking it easy. People aren't taking it easy. People are struggling. They're struggling. Businesses are struggling. Husbands are struggling. Wives are struggling. Kids, we got people on top of people. They're, they're, there's a struggle that's going on. This is tough on people's spiritual well-being, on their mental well-being, on their emotional well-being. We need to make a change. And our county commission actually put together a a, a a constitutional proposal that they were able to send off to the governor. Hallelujah. There's change because people are involved. By the way, I believe that our state representative, Steve Green, I believe he's a, he's a believer. I listened to that man and I thought, this guy is, he is he's on it, man. He is on it. So so that was just that was just through Tuesday. You see, I think God wants to use us. You think God wants to use us? We still got things we need to do, don't get me wrong. We still have work that we need to do, but I believe that part of what we we do is we get to We get to impact the community around us, and if not, think about this, if not, I don't believe most of the protesters that were there the other night, I do not believe that they went there with ill intent, but I do believe there were a few that came with ill intent, not from Detroit Lakes, not from around the area. I think there were some people that saw that there was going to be trouble, and they wanted to stir up more trouble. Now, the the, the whole concept of a mob mentality, um, it goes something like this, like, Okay, Trent, you're just going to stay right there. Trent would probably never be the first guy uh, to throw a rock at any, at any business or at, at a window. He probably wouldn't be the first guy to do that. But if I picked up a rock and I threw it at a window because I came with ill intent, Trent is still going, nah, no, no, probably not. But by that time, Terry's starting to juggle a rock. And if I just walk over and give Missy a rock, and the next thing you know, if you saw what happened in Fargo, somebody actually came with a bag of rocks. Did you see that? A guy came in with a pillowcase full of rocks. And they weren't going to do it the first one. But if I did it, and if I did it again, and then Missy thought, well, that's a good idea. She'd do it. And then Terry's like, yeah, that must be the thing to do. And now Trent is scrambling for something to do. He's going to throw a chair. That's called a mob mentality. You can sit down now. You obviously did not behave like I thought you would. Thank you. That's a mob mentality. People jump on board and they do stuff that they wouldn't do. And we as believers have an opportunity to put that thing to bed and say, you know what? Just don't throw the first rock. Just don't throw the first rock. Just don't go there. You say, Pastor, are you encouraging people to get, people might get hurt. I understand that. I, I understand that. I do. But folks, we need to stand up for for our community. We need to stand up for our community. We need to stand together as believers and say, we're not going to let evil destroy us. I don't believe all those people in that mob came there with rocks, and I don't think they would have been the first ones to throw rocks. But if you hire somebody to come in and start throwing rocks, somebody's going to jump on board. And somebody else is going to jump on board. And the next thing you know, we're going to have chaos. And I think as believers, we have the opportunity to be a part of That's just, again, what happened in the front part of our week. So last week I told you we're going to continue and look at Daniel. So let's just go back to this one more minute. Just one more second. I want to tell you that I believe if the church will stand up and be the church, This does not have to be our new normal. If you say to me, Pastor, I cannot go down there. I can't do that. Great. Get on your knees and pray. You see a prayer request coming across the prayer chain that says, there's a riot, there's chaos going on, this is going on. I'm going to tell you something right now. If that happens and that word gets out, God's activating people. And there are going to be believers down there, and they need your prayer cover. So if you say to yourself, I can't do that, great. Great. Pray for the people that are down there. Pray for God's peace. Pray for God's spirit to overwhelm. Pray for God to infiltrate this because there are going to be believers down there who need your prayers. I was talking to Jim Hokanson on the phone as I'm leaving Walmart the other night. I, I heard that there was supposed to be a protest going on out at Walmart, so I went out there and talked to him on the phone. He's like, Pastor, did you have anybody praying with you? Anybody need prayer cover? I said, well, I'm supposing my wife is praying for me because I left the house in a hurry. We need people praying for us when we go and we step out and say, "God, we're we want to obey." That was just that was just one thing, one or two things that happened, folks. There was tons of people getting ministered to. Barry standing there, some young girls by his side, and he looks at him. He's like, "You know, I should know you." And the one girl says, "Well, you should. You kicked us out of class." He was a he was a substitute teacher. You should. You kicked us out of class and sent us to detention. He's like, Oh, how are you doing? I'm like, Fine. Well, did you forgive me for that? Well, yeah, we forgave you for that. What are they going to do? Are they going to throw rocks at him now? They already forgave him once, but they can't. Like, what are you going to do? It's the opportunity that we have. So Daniel goes into this. Into this, he's making a stand for God. Daniel's in Babylon, and he's making a stand for God. And while he's making a stand for God, there's a the, the rule comes down that you can only worship this king. And and as we know the story, Daniel doesn't do that. God spares him. Uh, God begins to raise him up. There's a couple of things that Daniel knows in this whole process, and we're not going to go into the the book of Daniel really much at all today, but there's a couple of things that Daniel knows. Number one, Daniel knows that throughout all of this, there's been a prophecy from Jeremiah, uh, and throughout all of this, Daniel knows that God is in control. God is in charge. Do you believe that God's in charge this morning? Do you believe he's in control? Do you believe when Scripture talks about God being outside of the realm of time, he's not, he's not confined by time, that God knows the beginning from the end? Do you believe God knows the beginning from the end? Really? Do you really believe that? We believe that God knows the beginning from the end. Every day, he knows what you're going to do. He knows what you're going to say. He knows where you're going to go. Not because he's programming it, but because he's outside of the realm of time. He's already been there. He knows it. Do we believe that of God? Do we believe that God knows exactly what's going to take place in the community of Detroit Lakes tomorrow? Really? Because if we do... If we believe that, then there's something that we should be hanging on to. That's part of the hope that we should have is that God's already there. He's already experienced this. We're not gonna step into anything that's a surprise to God. Was God surprised at the number of people that were gonna be at this protest? Not at all. Didn't shock him in the least, right? Surprised me when I showed up. Surprised me when I saw the number of believers standing on that side. Didn't surprise God. He was already there. You see, that's one of the things that I think should give us perspective about our walk in this world today. As much chaos and confusion and things go along, we do not need to be shocked because God is not surprised. If we're following, he knew I was working up in the shop. He knew what it took to motivate me and get my backside out of the shop and get it into town. He knew how many prayer requests I needed to hear from Lorraine. hey, Guess what? This is what's going on. This is what's going on. Can we put this on a prayer? Can we put this on a prayer? Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. And my phone's beeping, and I'm trying to do welding, and I'm just beeping. And I'm just... He knew what I needed, because he is there. We believe that God is outside of the realm of time. He knows the beginning from the end. He's been everywhere, from heaven to hell. He's covered it all. He knows it all. We've got to put our hope and our trust and our confidence in him when he, when he, when he uh, drives us, when he, when he compels us to move. He's been there. He knows what's going to happen. I do not need at that point to walk in fear. Daniel also knows about this prophecy. He knows this prophecy from, from uh, Jeremiah 29. That says, look, while you're in captivity, Judah's going to be in captivity. Jeremiah said, Judah, Babylon's going to come in and take Judah captive. And when they do, go ahead and set up your homes and have your families and, and set up business do what you need to do. But 70 years from tomorrow, 70 years from this captivity, after 70 years, then I'm going to set you free. 70 years is going to come along. And, and we read about this uh, uh, in, again in... in um, Jeremiah chapter 29 live right live life 70 years there's a promise and from that promise you get perspective okay so how many of you believe that according to the word of God Jesus Christ is going to return one day right we believe that I believe according to what we're seeing around us that day is getting closer and closer with some expediency it's, it's, it's gonna happen. If, if you're young, you're saying, well, you know what? Maybe this is just what happens. This, this doesn't have to happen this way. This does not have to happen this way. The, I, I believe the days are coming sooner and sooner, and if we believe that Jesus is really coming back, then that should be part of the perspective that we have as a believer, regardless of what I, I see around me. I've got this hope. Daniel was able to say, okay, okay, okay. You know how this goes, right? You've got a big day coming up, job interviews coming up, a wedding's coming up, or, uh, you know, uh, see, you're getting married. I just uh, did a wedding yesterday for for Lisa and Devlin, and, and you know there's a calendar someplace that has X marks on it. You know, it's, I'm 45 days away. Check, here's the big red day down here. Now I'm 44 days away. I'm 43 days away. 42 days, this countdown going on. There's expectancy. I can put up with the pressure. I can put up with the angst. I can put up with all the concerns. I can put up with all that because there's 28 days left. There's 27 days left. That, I believe, is what Daniel's doing. His perspective is 70 years, we're getting delivered, man we're getting delivered. Okay, great. It's 69 now. 68. Can you imagine we got down to 30? Yeah! There's only 30 years left. 25 years left. 18 years left. Two years left. Man, what's God going to do? How's he going to deliver us? There is a day coming when Jesus Christ is going to return for his church, and we need to be excited about that. We need to be excited because you can cross a day off the calendar. I don't know what that date is. Bible says no man knows the day or the hour. We can cross off day because every 24 hours, we're 24 hours closer. And you know what? God in his loving kindness is stretching out these times and he's, actually the Bible says he's, making his days go faster, but he's, he's taking so much time because he wants everybody to get saved. So it's our job as believers to be reaching. We need to walk out into the crowds and into the mobs and into the people that don't like Jesus into the people that don't like church. So at one point, this crowd is saying, what's his name? George Floyd. What's his name? George Floyd. What's his name? And Barry shouts out, Jesus. What's his name? Jesus. Guy looks at Barry and he says, that's for Sunday. And Barry's like, It's Sunday. (laughs) We need to have an expectancy that God is gonna change something. He's gonna use us. There are things in life, you know, this this whole concept of expectancy. Two salesmen, I heard this little thing the other day, two salesmen end up going to Africa. They're shoe salesmen. One shoe salesman phones the office, and he's like, get me a ticket out of here nobody in Africa wears shoes and the other shoe salesman says ship me as many shoes as you can man nobody's wearing shoes perspective perspective what are we looking at church are we looking at oh the world is so lost and it's so terrible are we going the world is lost and terrible and we have an opportunity to shine light all kinds of things are going to happen to us. There's all kinds of uncertainties, all kinds of unchallenges that make things difficult. But our attitude, your perspective on what's going to take place is going to make all the difference. And I believe that a congregation, a body of people that have the right perspective is going to grow. We're going to grow first spiritually. We're going to grow emotionally. We're going to grow personally. And I believe we're going to grow numerically if we had the right perspective. The proper perspective sees problems as possibilities. The Apostle Paul saw a problem in the church of Philippi. Judea and Syntyche were quarreling, and the problem was so bad, so severe, that Paul actually names them by name. What are we going to do? Are we going to look at the problem? Are we Are going to look at the answer? Chuck Swindoll says, We're faced with a series of great opportunities brilliantly disguised as impossible situations. Can we see the problems? The key to dealing with problems is perspective. Do we have an answer or don't we have an answer? When the Israelites saw Goliath, 10 feet tall, right? Nine feet tall. His shield is a door. He comes out and he challenges the armies of Israel and they're like, he's so big, we can't kill him. And David comes out and like, he's so big, I can't miss. You never heard it put that way, did you? There's so much problem in the world around us. We can look at those problems and go, it's so big, we can overcome that. Or you can say, it's so big, how can I miss Man, i got to be able to speak into one life from here. Second Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 1. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents. When I preached that 10 years ago, I thought, that is so true. How could it ever get more true than it is today? And yet today it's even more true than it was then disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control. I met somebody not too long ago who told me they have never forgiven anybody, they've never tried to forgive anybody, and they saw no need to ever try to forgive anybody. Like, how can you carry that package? How can you carry that burden? How are you going to walk around with all that? God never created you to do that. They'd never heard that. Never heard that, that forgiveness is something that they could dispense. I've never forgiven anybody. I've never tried. I don't ever plan on it. That's the world that we live in unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, rather treacherous, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. I'm going to stand on all these things that I think are good, but we refuse the power of God in the midst of it. And Paul says, don't have, any, don't have anything to do with them. In part, what he's saying is don't have fellowship with that. Don't invite that in, don't be a part of it. But he's not saying don't have an impact on it. You and I can have an impact on that type of attitude. But we've got to get the right perspective. We've got to see ourselves as the answer. We've got to see ourselves as saying, this problem is either so large I can't touch it or it's so large I can't miss it, I might as well go after it. I can speak hope into part of this. I, I walked down there last week and there's probably between folks on one side of the street and folks on the other side of the street, it's probably 300 people. And there's just as much tension rising on both sides. And that there's a lot of people over there ministering. I'm going to stay over here so that I can impact somebody. And I may have only impacted one kid, but he's the guy who's talking about going to get an AR 15. I'm glad I had that conversation. Do I think he would have done it? I don't know. Not the first one, but he might have been the second one to throw the brick or the third one to throw the brick or the. Look, folks, we have the opportunity. And I believe it's about the church stepping up and saying, we're going to be the church. There are problems, yes. But are they so large they can't be fixed? You know what? We can't stop the end of days from happening. We can't stop the fact that there's going to be this wickedness in the world around us. We can't stop that. But we can certainly reach out and have an impact on one person or two people or ten people you may not be able to bring the whole world to Jesus, but maybe you can bring five people over the course of the next six months or 10 months or two years. Do we, do we huddle ourselves down in a hole and go, it's just too big of a problem, pastor. There's nothing we can do. We might as well just give up and have church on Sundays and just let everybody, what, go to hell? Or are we gonna say we're gonna stand up and we're gonna do something about this? Proper perspective sees people in their relationship to their potential. You see, these guys that were down there hooting and howling and trying to make all this trouble, can you imagine if they had Jesus? All the trouble they could make for the devil? What if they just got saved? Look at what Paul was doing. Paul was out killing Christians. He was killing believers. All of a sudden, he gets saved. And now he writes half of the New Testament What happens if you take one rowdy teenager who thinks the best thing he can do in life is go out and get stoned every weekend? Go and get high. You don't have to worry about a hangover. Just stay drunk. What happens if he gets saved? What happens if he takes that same type of energy and puts it into the gospel? He may become a preacher. You don't know. The Philippian Christians were so dear to Paul because they had helped Paul out so many times that Paul's recollection of them in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 3 is I thank God every time I remember you. Every time I remember you, I thank God. That's what Paul said about that Philippian church. And then he goes on in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 through 7, and he begins to encourage them Rejoice in the Lord always. I thank God every time I think about you. You need to rejoice in the Lord always. Even when it's tough, rejoice, I say. Let your gentleness be evident to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious. Do Christians ever get anxious? Yes, Christians can get anxious. Do Christians ever get fearful? Yes, Christians can get fearful. Should they? They don't have to. Paul says, when you're dealing with problems, when you got anxiety, when you got fear going on, I'm going to tell you what to do. Don't be anxious. But in that situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Don't hang on to that fear. Present it to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard, which transcends all understanding understanding. I'm walking through those streets last week and I'm thinking to myself, this is great. It's like there's just no fear. That peace transcends. I'm watching believers walk over into, I didn't think they were ever going to be a hostile crowd, but they certainly could have been. And they're walking over and there's just peace. There's just peace. It transcends all understanding. You and I have that opportunity to be dispensers of peace and to be dispensers of hope. How do we see people? Do we see people in relationship to their potential? Or do we see people just the way they are and we're just gonna leave them and they're no good, lousy scoundrels? Or do we see them and say, you know what? God could really do something with you, man. You just just get your heart right and God can really, really change your life. And then we got to look at, you know, when we look at people the right way, we encourage them to make a difference for the kingdom. And it takes away all the stuffiness of the church because then if I get the right perspective on people, then I kind of got to love Trent just where he is. I kind of just got to love him for for who he is. I don't get to have this big attitude like, I'm right, and you got to put on a tie and a coat, otherwise you can't come to my church. I don't think that's God's heart. I don't think that's God's heart. Jesus always encouraged people. I don't think he told the blind man, now, I'm going to heal you, but before Saturday I need you to get on a jacket and a tie so that you can go to church. You're lame now and as soon as you get done, I need you to get yourself a suit so that you can go to church. Come on, folks, we need to just be the church. We need to just be the church. Even our own failures and our own flaws. If we're not careful, we get stuck in this mentality that, that you can, that guy can never change. If that's the case, Paul would have been stuck in a jail. He wrote the book of Philippians while he's in jail. He wrote several books while he was in jail. If his if his thought process, if his mind, if his attitude, if his heart hadn't been towards moving on, he'd have been stuck there. If he'd been stuck in that jail, he certainly wouldn't have been able to write those words of encouragement to us. We got to see people beyond their situations. Have you ever seen somebody so hopelessly lost? When I did my sister's funeral several years ago, my nephew who had been in and out of jail, he'd been on drugs, and his first crime he ever committed, he was the, he was the, the getaway driver, and this, uh, these guys beat up an old lady in Duluth and stole her purse, and my nephew was the getaway driver. Now, I could look at that and go, you know what, you're scum, and you need to rot in jail. He did go to jail. He went to prison. He'd it, been in and out of stuff. When I went to do my sister's funeral, I was so ticked off at him because I'm the kind of guy who wants to start on time. Like that really means something. She's already dead. She doesn't care. I'm going to start on time, and he's late. I'm not going to wait. I'm not going to wait. Come on, wait. I'm not going to wait. Come on, wait. I'm not going to wait. He done preaching her funeral, and the very next day, he checks himself into rehab for 18 months. Comes out of rehab, starts a business with the pastor. Now he's going back into jails preaching the gospel. How do we see people? What's the potential that we see in them? Do we see the same potential that God sees in them? Because I haven't been in a jail preaching the gospel in a while. How do we see people? we, we got to get this different perspective. We have to get a different change. Daniel had this perspective that, that God is going to deliver us. We already know that. He knows the beginning from the end. We already know that. So let's, let's hang on to Jesus. Let's hang on to God through all this. We need to get that perspective that God knows the beginning from the end. He knows who's going to accept him. He knows who's going to, but he also knows that he needs us to step up and do something about it. We need to change our perspective. William James I don't know who he say, who he is I, I found this quote. William James said, "The greatest discovery of my generation is that human beings can alter their lives by altering the attitude of their mind." Change your thought process and you can change your world. You can change your life, especially if we change that thought process and we submit it to a living God. We submit it to Jesus Christ. We submit it to the work of the Holy Spirit. We can change the world around us. The most significant decision we can make on a daily basis is to change our attitude towards people and see them the way that God sees them. I told you that I was uh, struggling with this sermon this week, and I'm mowing a lawn, and the Lord gave me an idea, and the idea he gave me comes from the movie Secretariat. Maybe you've seen the movie Secretariat. We're going to show a couple of video clips. If you can't see the video screens really close, you may want to move in. But there are two scenes that I want to highlight to you and then we're going to show them, and then I'll talk about it a little bit. So I, the movie Secretariat came out in 2010. I love this movie. I don't know why. It's not like a good underdog movie. It's not like there's a lot of great car chase scenes. Nobody's jumping rivers with cars. There's There's not a lot of that stuff going on. And so I was asking the Lord because like the first time I saw the movie was three or four years ago and I better have seen it ten times since then. If it's on TV and I'm going by scanning channels and I see it, I stop. I'll watch the rest of the movie. and go nowhere. The other night I actually searched for it on the, before the Lord gave me this about two weeks ago. I searched for it and I watched the whole movie. It was 11 o'clock at night when I found the movie. And I, just, I, I, and I think part of it is, part of it is, it's 1970s and this lady gets this crazy chance, this this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And in 1973, she risks a $6 million bet on a horse. And I'm thinking that's the side of me that it grabs a hold of. That little risky, edgy, if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space kind of a thing. So she, she is trying to save her father's farm. And the way that it comes about as she makes this bet on her horse by the name of Secretariat, winning three races in three different states in five weeks. Hadn't been done at this point in time, hadn't been done in 27 years. There's a trainer whose name is, he's not a trainer, he's a stable boy. His name is Eddie. And Eddie is the man, if you, I've done more research on this than I probably should have in the last week. But Eddie, spent more time with this horse than any other human being had had spent with this horse. Eddie knew this horse. Eddie's a black guy. Before the Kentucky, 1973 is the 99th running of the Kentucky Derby. We're going to look at two video clips. One is from the Kentucky Derby, and the other is from the last race. I think it's the Preakness. The first one is the Kentucky Derby. And just before the Kentucky Derby, Secretariat starts losing a couple of races. And, and the owner can't figure out why. As a matter of fact, he loses a race to a horse called Sham, and, and uh, you'll see Sham's owner in here. He's, anyhow, um, when he loses the race, they can't figure out why. She's ready to fire the jockey and the trainer and the stable boy and anybody else who's, who's around, and all of a sudden, a vet comes out to check out the horse, and he, and he discovers that the horse has an abscess. He's got this huge abscess, and so they start treating the horse. Had run a race, and this is five days later, he has to run the Kentucky Derby, and it's three days into it, and he still hasn't eaten. He eats 25 pounds of hay a day, two big buckets of oats a day, and he hasn't eaten in three days, and they don't dare run him. They can't, they can't, they're trying to, but he's not eating, and they don't know if he's sick. And so the doctor comes along, and he finds out that the horse has an abscess and he, and he takes care of that abscess. And what you're going to see in this first clip is Eddie coming out onto the track. And I don't want you to hang on to what Eddie has to say, okay? I'm not sure if I can tell you what this relates to in my mind yet or not. Maybe I'll get it on the backside. And the second clip that you're going to see, the second clip you're going to see, it's all going to run together is the last race of the Triple Crown. This is the longest race of the Triple Crown. Every other race is is a mile. This one's a mile and a quarter, a mile and a half, sorry. It's the longest race. And I want you to watch it. Now it's six minutes, okay? Don't fall asleep. It's six minutes. Watch it. Pay attention to what's going on because I think this is so critical to where we are as a people today. Let's go ahead and run that. Six minutes, I'm going to shut the lights off for you. Don't fall asleep.
1: go red done ate his breakfast this morning and you're about to see something that you ain't never even seen before. So get ready. Get ready.
0: This is now the final race, okay? Very big day, Mrs.
1: Tweed. Hey! Hey! Oh, look at him! Got a couple thousand I can borrow? Got a tip on a horse. Only five horses in the field today. Many of the owners conceding that this is in fact a match race between Secretariat and Sham. (coughs) The field is at the post. Chick Anderson with the call. Horses now loaded in. into an even faster pace as they round the first turn. Drawing away down to the back stretch. Sham pressing Secretariat even faster. Secretariat refusing to yield, driving forward. Here, this is unbelievable. No horse can take this pace. Sham pushes forward to challenge for the rail. Come on, Ronnie. Come on. Three quarters of blistering 109 and four. 109 there you go. There you go. and four. Carrying it and sham locked in a deadly duel. He laughs at fear, afraid of nothing. He does not shy away from the sword. He cannot stand still when the trumpet sounds. Ride him, Ronnie! Ride him! Don't let him go! No, Ronnie. go, Ronnie. go Ronnie. Wow. <laughs> Ronnie! Ronnie, don't fall!
0: history of horse racing. Somebody want to grab those lights? Never in the history of horse racing has anything happened like that before. When Secretary won the Kentucky Derby, that race is broken down into four runs, four parts of a run. There's corner and corner, straight window. When they came down the first stretch, the horse was doing 36 miles an hour. He went faster every quarter of a track. When he finished the race, he was doing 39 miles an hour. When Eddie comes out on the track, and he says, Kentucky, you better get ready because you ain't never seen nothing. Like you about to see, you ain't never seen nothing like you. Do. You gotta get ready. I think that's a picture of Jesus speaking to the devil of the church in the last times. You better get ready as you ain't seen nothing like you're about to see. I believe that the church steps into her proper role. You're gonna see change. You're gonna see people coming to Christ. We're gonna see, you ain't seen nothing like you're getting ready to see, but that takes us. It takes us. Listen to what Paul says. I don't even think I wrote it down. What does Paul say to the church? These current sufferings that we face are nothing. Can't even be compared to the glory that is to come. The struggles that we have today, what we're seeing in the world, can't even compare. Can't even compare to the glory. You can't, that 31 Length stretch has never nothing's ever nobody's ever seen like that. You know there are people who went up to the window and who bet on that horse i'm i've trust I've watched so many documentaries about this in the last three days I'm kind of embarrassed. People took their ticket and instead of cashing in their winning ticket, they knew what they saw was was part of horse racing history, they didn't even cash in their ticket. They didn't even collect their money because they didn't want to exchange that ticket just for cash that was going away. This is a piece of history. Folks, I believe the church is ready to step in. Thessalonians, First Thessalonians over and over and over again. You're gonna talk about our perspective. First Thessalonians talks about come God coming and taking away the church. He's gonna come in. And there's gonna be a there's gonna be a time. We gotta realize that the struggles that we're going through are nothing. They're nothing compared to what God wants for us. And you and I have the opportunity to be dispensers of the gospel of Jesus Christ and to bring hope into every situation. Please do not walk out of here today thinking, ah, you know, 2020 is just a normal. There's nothing normal about 2020. Murder hornets are not normal. Pandemics are not normal. Riots in our streets do not need to be normal. Bluebirds with shark heads on are what we're going to see next if this is normal. This is not normal. God wants to do something in us and through us. Amen? Do we really believe it? I believe it. I believe God wants to take the church and we need to get a different perspective. Day in and day out. You need to start thinking about your day in light of the return of Jesus Christ. If you think of your day in light of his return, the Bible says he's going to come back like a thief in the night. Is your day, are you making a choice? Next week, we're going to talk about hope. We're going to talk about the power of God. We're going to talk about that next week. Are you thinking about your day in light of his return? If we get that perspective, that changes How Natalie cuts hair. That changes how Missy sells insurance. That changes how Zoe interprets. That changes how we do our job. If our perspective is Jesus is coming back soon. We're just not worried about, oh, they're going to find Jesus sooner or later. Let's worry about them finding Jesus today. Amen? Let's close in prayer. God, I just thank you so much that you're willing to give us a perspective Change. You're willing, God, to pour into our hearts that we would see people in a different light. This is not, it was not a regular day. I think the, the, the uh, overlapping things that we're seeing, the, the compounding and the compiling, should help us as a church to realize this is not a normal day. We don't want to go back to things as normal. They're, they're, they're the chaos doesn't need to be a new normal. But the church being activated needs to be a new normal. We need to get our act together. We need to begin praying. We need to begin seeking. We need to begin fasting. We need to begin seeing all this in light of you returning. God, that's, the church is going to surge forward. The church is going to surge forward. When I see that separation, I see the church surging forward. The enemy scratching his head going, how, how, how am I losing that much ground? How am I losing that much ground? How am I losing that much ground? God, give us your peace and your direction every day And we begin to look at this like you really are, really are coming back, and you want us to change this world that we live in. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have yourselves a great day and live like Jesus is coming back tomorrow because he might. Hallelujah.